episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast, and in this episode, I am not only super excited, I am also very, very humbled and honored to have this guest take some time out of his extremely busy work schedule and and life obligations to speak with me today. And so I just want to dive straight into the conversation and and get this ball rolling while we have the opportunity to learn from from one of the greats. And so, Kevin, if we could start off um, and just basically have you kind of introduce who you are and what you do, um, because there might be some listeners to this podcast that may not be aware of, of who you are and the amazing journey and career that you've had? Well, I, 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 these questions are always the most difficult <laughs> for me to answer because who I am is just who I am. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had a very fortunate life. Um, maybe some people might think I've, I've lived a, a life that's a little bit on the celebrity and glamorous side. Uh, I don't see it that way. I kind of see it that this is what my chosen path was and uh, fortunately, it worked out for me. But um, probably the thing that would uh, most uh, attract uh, your listeners would be that uh, I've been coaching basketball uh, all of my professional career, uh, 22 years in college, 13 years in the NBA. Uh, my 13 NBA years were my latest years and um, had the great fortune during those 13 years to uh, work with a a gentleman by the name of Doc Rivers, who was the head coach of the Boston Celtics. Uh, the year we won the NBA title uh, was on Doc's staff uh, in Boston. That was in 2008. Uh, and then I went with him to the Los Angeles Clippers, where I served as uh, not just an assistant coach, but but uh, at, at one point the vice president of the organization because we were going through some change uh, in ownership uh, when we got out to L.A., so um, some other highlights, I guess, is, is uh, had the good fortune of coaching in two All-Star games. Uh, we, I mentioned we won one of the NBA Finals in 2008, learned a lot of lessons there. But um, we lost the Finals to that same team, Los Angeles Lakers, in 2010 and learned many lessons there as well. So that's kind of my professional life. Uh, the college, I've worked all over the country uh, at different levels of college basketball. And then my personal life, um, my wife and I are now running our business, uh, which is the business of speaking, uh, speaking to corporations, uh, speaking to, to uh, school districts, speaking to sports teams. Uh, so kind of live in those three worlds of the speaking world. Um, and then we, uh, we have a son uh, who is working for the Boston Celtics. So as I left the NBA, he now is in the NBA, so he's representing us uh, in professional sports. He's a scout for the Boston Celtics. So that's probably enough of, of my life. Uh, so I can't wait to get on to the next question. Yeah, yeah, and I, I appreciate you sharing all that, and I know um, I always find it a little ironic to just – 
speak about who you are. It's like, I don't know, I just wake up, drink coffee and, and, and do my thing. And so I um, appreciate you kind of setting that context. And I know one of the things that um, um, you didn't mention, which is what really, really got me fascinated to want to speak with you is you have a, a new book out, the, the 25 Powerful Words That Impact, Inspire and Define Champions. Um, and I just truly love this book. Um, and as I was reading through it, one of the things that, that came in, I look and I, I'm reading your book. Um, I've followed your journey. I've, I've used your work in clinic notes and things for, for so many years and all my years of coaching um, and just all that you've done, I guess the big question, and we're just going to dive right into it is like, like what drives you? Like what, what, what compels you to keep moving on to this, this next thing in your life and your endeavor? Um, Cause you've done so many fascinating, fascinating things that um, you know, you, you've never, I guess, settled. You've always just kept, kept looking in for this, this, this next thing that's going to challenge you and keep you alive and going. So what is it that, that drives Kevin Eastman? Well, I think in one word, and it's one of the words in the, that I talk about in the book, uh, is curiosity. Uh, I'm always curious as to, and that's why I titled the book, Why the Best are the Best. I'm always curious as to, you know, what, what makes people the best, regardless of, of their field. Uh, whether I'm talking with the coach to try and quiz him or her on how they climb the ladder, or I'm in a... Uh, uh, the company of a uh, of the C-suite of a of a particular company, or uh, whether I'm in uh, Yuma, Arizona, speaking to 500 teachers, administrators, and staff uh, in their school district, I learn from each crowd and audience that that I speak to. So, and I often say I, I'm really not a speaker; I'm more of a sharer. I try and share all my experiences and lessons and and uh, the unique fortune of being around some of the best of the best because there are certain reasons why they got there and these reasons we can all insert into our lives. But the, the overwhelming probably passion that I have is just to keep learning. You know, I often say there's two types of people in this world. There's know-it-alls, which I hate, <laughs> and there's, uh, there's learn-it-alls. And I love being around those people who are in that category of, of learn it alls. And, and I'm one of them. So, um, I just wake up every day with, uh, a curiosity to learn more, read more, grow more, develop more, improve more. And that's just kind of in my blood. I love that. I love that. And as, as you were talking in, in, in the introduction about, um, your success when you were able to win the NBA title in 2008, and then when you came up a little bit short there in, in, in 2010, one of the things that, keeps coming up in a lot of conversation and my own kind of self-reflection on how do I become better as an educator and a parent as a coach is, is um, I feel like sometimes there's this disconnect in the learning opportunities between setbacks and success. And what I mean by that is I feel like there's, there's so much written about how we can take away and, and learn from our failures, our, our, our mistakes. And I think there's so much to be learned from our successes as well. But sometimes I feel like it's easy to forget to do that reflection pose. You know, we, we, we have some success, we have some celebration and we move on. And so I didn't know if you could, could dive into that a little bit in terms of how have you seen successful teams or players figure out how to learn not only from setbacks and failures, but also from the successes that they've earned. Because I feel like, you know, as I said earlier, sometimes I think we, we, we forget to do that reflection piece on when things do go well. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, is there's no question. Everybody thinks that um, 
the people we see on TV, the people we see in movies, the people we see in uh, on professional sports teams, uh, maybe the concerts we go to, um, that they're overnight sensations. And uh, I, I remember reading an article on Beyonce, and uh, she said it took her 16 years to become an overnight sensation. So uh, there's a lot that goes into uh, what happens in the dim lights of the dance hall, the practice hall for her or for us, those dim lights at the gym that are filled with failures and successes. But we only see those people in the bright lights of the stadium or the stage or the court or the fields. So um, I think with failure, you just have to figure out what you want to do with it. Um, you know, I often say that you can treat it as devastation or education. And you can treat it as a something that will stop you or something that will start you again. And I think you know where the successful people lie in terms of those choices. Right. So, um, and then, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. Everyone who's been successful has made mistakes. And, and the term that we always use in sports, and it applies to everyone, even what I'm doing with my speaking business now, um, look, success is not a game of perfect. Leadership is not a game of perfect. Parenting is not a game of perfect. We're going to make mistakes, but I encourage people, just make new ones. If you make the same one over and over again, shame on you. You should be where you are. I love that. And if, but you can't, you can't leave the country with 17,432,634 new mistakes because that's going to cause you to be at the bottom of the rankings as well. So uh, it's how you... You know, it's just what are you going to do with failure? That's that's the question that 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 I always ask. Yeah. Um, and then with success, as a matter of fact, getting back to failure, you know, even though I shouldn't say this because I've had a successful career, but I think all the corporate people are are wrong. They're always bringing in successful people. They should actually occasionally bring in one of the most colossal failures in their industry, because let that person speak on what I did to become this bad. And then <laughs> now we know leaving that talk, okay, let's stay away from those things. Right. Yeah. So, but getting to this, getting to the success portion of it, uh, the biggest thing that I think uh, success does for us, if we treat it right, is we can review, we can reestablish and we can re-engage. So uh, it's, it's the three re's. So we want to review why did we become successful? What hurt us a little bit maybe along the path to that, to that success? We can eliminate that, that, those things. But what helped us get there? So we got to review those things. Then we got to reestablish them as being important to this current year. And then the re-engagement part is let's just dive in and try and be at worst equal to and, and, and hopefully better than in all the categories from our review and our reestablishment that we've defined, uh, see if we can't be a little bit better uh, this coming year. And what you find out, and I, and I have this term uh, that, that I believe applies to the corporate world, the, the, the world of education as, as teachers and administrators, and uh, the world of sport. And it goes like this. Every day counts on the last day. So every day counts when it's the last day. And what I mean by that, 
So we win the title in 2008. And in the locker room after the celebration, the coaches and our wives were together. And, and our talk kind of went like this. Wow, how about that, that uh, out-of-bounds play we ran in the third quarter and Ray hit that corner three? That kind of started to turn the game in our favor for us to win this thing. And then how about when Paul Pierce dove on the ball and instead of giving possession to the Lakers, uh, we, you know, we won the tip and we got the ball. Uh, how about uh, uh, how great a shape we were in to be able to play at full speed late into the game? That was our talk. Now, for your listeners, fly with me now to Los Angeles, California, two, day, two years later. We lost in the finals in game seven to the Lakers. And after we talked to our team, we were in the locker room again. The wives weren't there, but just the coaches. And our talk was a little different. We talked about, boy, we should have kept running that play because it was working. And we decided to be smarter than we should have been. And we went to another one. We should have stuck with that. Uh, boy, we ran out of gas. Uh, Rashid Wallace got cramps. What if we had worked him a little bit harder in uh, April and May? So you see, when it was the last day and we lost, we started to talk about every play and every day that happened before that last day. So uh, I think that the biggest lesson we can learn with success is, is, and I hate to use it because it's so overused, but, but stay in the present because the present is what's going to predicate your future. So do the best you can uh, every day with every second of every minute of every hour of every 24 hour period, do the best that you can uh, while you're actually in those times. Yeah. And this just, there's so many powerful things that, that you mentioned through those stories and, and through those ideas. And I'm down here scribbling notes. And it gets me thinking, too, to some of the parts of your book when um, you talk about a very simple word, the word try. Um, and, I've, and I've heard you, you wrote about it in the book. I've also heard you speak about it in other podcasts, the idea that, you know, we would be amazed at what we could do um, if our fear of failure was equal to our fear of, you know, not doing as much um, out of fear, you know, um, that that whole idea of, of not doing something because we're, we're afraid of mistakes as opposed to if we could equate that fear with, you know, what would happen by not doing anything at all. And that whole idea of trying and getting things to move into action. And you've had teams that have been successful in, in, into doing those small details lead to action that have led you to be able to share stories like the 2008 championship and maybe come up a little bit short in 2010. And so when I work with like students or even like educators who have somehow lost the confidence in themselves or, or the belief that they can do things, what have you seen that's been helpful um, through all your experience that helps people take the ideas and actually start to move them into action? Because, you know, like someone, you know, I've, I've handed out your book to, to my own children and to other coaches and players and they can read the 25 words. They can nod their head and say, these are all amazing ideas but it doesn't always convert into action or same thing when we talk about with, with, with youth players, you know, cause there's that kind of delayed gratification that, you know, if you grind with the fundamentals, it will pay off. It's just not always overnight. And, um, and so what have you seen or suggestions or tips um, as, as people are listening in and they're thinking like, okay, you know, I agree with everything he says, but like, how do I go about doing that? Well, you start. And uh, the, the thing that's ruined so many people and, and have people living a life of regret is, uh, one, what you talked about, the, 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 the fear of failure. And what I always say is, if you fear the consequence of failure, can you please, please, please put equal thought 
to the consequence of never trying. Because what happens if you tried and it actually worked, right? right? That's my life. That's my life in the NBA. I was scared going into the NBA. I had doubts going into the NBA. You know, everybody wants to, to coach a, a, a future Hall of Fame player like a Kevin Garnett or a, a current Hall of Fame player like a Ray Allen. Uh, you know, uh, they want to coach all-stars. But guess what? Those Hall of Fame players, those all-stars, they put Hall of Fame and all-star demands on you. Your knowledge better be at Hall of Fame level. Your work ethic better be at Hall of Fame level. Your attention to detail better be at all-star level. So I didn't know if I was capable of doing that. Uh, but, uh, but I kind of went back to, okay, what happens if I don't try? Would that consequence be even greater? Because I, I can live with a failure, but I'll tell you what, when you're on your deathbed, it's not so much the failures that you think about, it's the regrets. Yes. Why didn't I take care of this? Right. So I probably would have regretted, gosh, I never know if I could have done that. You know, so part of it is, like you said, uh, everyone will read the book and they'll say, yeah, I know about all those words. That's not the point of the book. You see, the difference is this. The average person has those words in their vocabulary so they can easily say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But the best they don't just have these words in the vocabulary. They live these words every day. So it's a, it's a subtle change to not just utilizing those words, but the change to defining those, defining those words for you and then living those definitions each and every day. And really, it's no harder than to just try and do that. Try and do it uh, day one. See if you can stretch it to three days. See if you can stretch it to... Uh, you know, however many days, because after a while, it, it, they're not just words you use, they actually become who you are. And that's what those words did for me. I just didn't know that I was living them every day. And what the sitting down and thinking about those words and eventually writing the book, I found out because I do a lot of reading, I do a lot of uh, YouTubing uh, for uh, leadership topics, culture topics, you name it, success topics. So I found that there were certain words that, that always were being used by the best. And then I want to stop right there because people might say, well, I can never be the best. Well, there's two best, bests in this world. There is the best, which that's, that's hard. It's hard to be the best podcaster in the United States. It's hard to be the best speaker in the world. So that's a daunting task for some people to take on. So they don't even start. They don't even try. But the second best is, is what most of the players that I've coached, that's what they are. So there's the best and there's my best. You see, everybody thinks in professional sports, it's, it's a, let's take the NBA, which I coached in, that it's a league of stars. No, actually, that couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> it's an overwhelming preponderance of people who are role players, not stars. 13 to even 14 of the 15-man rosters of every team in the NBA are filled with role players, not stars. Now, you see some teams that have three, you know, what they call the big threes. 
Right. Yeah, they're a little different. But but twelve of those twelve of those fifteen players are role players. So those role players, we what we've been able to do with them is to get them to understand just become your best. That's good enough for you to stay in the NBA, make a, a terrific career out of the NBA. So those would be some of the things. And then the other thing is we have total control of the following two things. And this is what was able, I was able to climb the, my ladder. I was going to out-knowledge and out-prepare everyone. Those were my two driving forces as I climbed my ladder uh, because I was a little shy, a little introverted when I first got into, uh, well, when I was in college for sure, and then when I first got into my professional career. But I knew if I out-knowledged people that people would actually come to me and ask me questions because I did have a lot of knowledge. So it's easy to answer questions as an introverted person. The hard part is starting and staying engaged in a 15-minute conversation with someone. So I didn't really ever have to get in conversation. I just kind of answered questions. And then I would out-prepare people because I wanted to be known as someone who was ready for all of the what-ifs because those are really valuable people. It's, it's easy to find people who can help you with what's going on. Yeah. But it's hard to find people who are really looking ahead to what if. What yeah. if this happens? What if this breaks? Yeah, and that reminds me a lot. You had um, you referenced a, a quote by Doc Rivers in in your book. I think it was under the the word truth, um, and in which he said he says the average players want to be left alone. The good players want to be coached. The great players want to be told the truth. And so I think that connects and speaks a lot of volume to what it is that you were just speaking right there. You know, um, having these people that you surround yourself with that are going to challenge you to bring out the best of you, um, keep you pushing for that next level um, so we can all be the best versions of ourselves um, to make the whole, the organization, the team, the, the, the classroom, whatever your, 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 your reality is, um, to take things to that next level. And so I think that's... Um, a great piece of insight for anybody to kind of think on and chew on it while they're looking at their own life and their careers and then thinking about, okay, how, how do I get myself to that, that next level? Um, and I think that's something that that's really important. And so, you know, because I quoted Doc Rivers, I know that obviously you coach with him under, under him at the, with the Boston Celtics and then you followed him to the Clippers. And so what was it about Doc Rivers that, that attracted you to want to continue to work with him um, and, and, and be part of his, his process? Well, first of all, uh, he, he's a learn it all. He is one of the most curious people when it comes to success. Um, he's a, he's, he reads all the time. Uh, he, he kind of like, kind of like me or I like him, uh, in that he is constantly looking for ways he can motivate our team by watching maybe a YouTube here. He hears something on, uh, I don't know, CNN, Fox, ESPN, that he can put into a message to our team. So he's constantly striving, and he's, he's ever curious uh, as to uh, how to get a little bit better for himself and those that he leads. And uh, – uh, and then he's just a, a just a good guy. Uh, you know, you're attracted to people who have some humility about them. And if there are leaders uh, that are listening, uh, whether they be managers or maybe their principals or their superintendents, uh, whoever is listening in a leadership position, I have what I call leadership Velcro. Things that maybe 
not everyone does, but if you do them, people just stick to you. They follow you. And humility is one of those leadership Velcro items. Uh, and Doc has that. And then he has this unique ability. I don't know that it can be taught. I think it can be improved a little bit, but I'm not sure it can ever get to his level. He just reads people so well. He's able to look at someone, enter a room, and get a good feel based on body language, their eyes, their shoulders, how they walk today versus how they normally walk when they're confident. He's just got that. Um, he, he doesn't just look. He sees. Mm. He really sees what's, what's going on. So uh, those were the things that came over with humility being probably the, the number one thing that came over immediately. And then when I found out how curious he was, uh, that kind of almost kind of made me think, gosh, this, this guy, I, you know, I could, I could easily work with him. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you've talked about yourself and also Doc Rivers, and I'm sure you have a whole list of other people that are, that are voracious readers, studying things that are going around, reading books, things from the past. And, um, it kind of gets me thinking too, you had another part in your book in which you talked about, um, the idea of blending the old school with the new school to create what you consider one school. Um, and so as, as you're talking, I'm, I, I want to bring that up because I, I'm curious what you, what you think. And I know, um, as, as the state of basketball, when you watch games on TV, they always talk about the games changing and this and that, you know, with all the announcers. And so what do you think are the essential, essential elements from the quote-unquote old school days um, that are still vital to be successful, whether on the basketball court or beyond? Um, and, and what are some of the, the new things that have developed or come into to play um, for, for someone to be aware of as well to kind of blend into this one school where they have the best opportunities to be successful um, in however terms they want to define that? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the new things are uh, – uh, well, trying to like in, in terms of team composition, uh, really trying to create a roster where you actually have three superstars uh, on your team, minimum of two superstars on your team. Uh, so the construct of the team itself relative to the, say, the salary cap in, in, in the NBA anyway. Right. Um, I think the, the, the way positions are changing on the floor uh, you know, it used to be that 6'10", 6'11", 7-foot guys uh, stayed as close to the basket as possible, and now they're floating around the three-point line. <laughs> right. Uh, there's, less, there's less plays being run now, set plays. Uh, it's more free, what they call flow, where you're just moving and cutting and screening and, and setting pick and rolls. So on the floor um, – those things have changed uh, for sure. Off the floor, what has changed, uh, I think, in the eyes of many, although I really believe it's an old school principle, because the best coaches I had back in the day, they kind of knew us. They had relationships with us. But that's huge nowadays. You know, it's nice to have Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Chris Paul, uh, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, J.J. Redick on your teams because they have so much talent. But if, if, if they're not motivated to use their talent for you on this team, it doesn't matter how good they are. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, uh, the best way we believe uh, to get to anyone we lead is to get to their heart. Because once you capture their heart, 
you've got them. And you capture their heart by uh, spending time with them, by developing a relationship with them, by making sure they know that you have their best interest at heart, not your best interest at heart. And I think in today's game of professional sports, whether it be uh, Sean McVay, whether it be a Doc Rivers, Steve Kerr, um, whether it be an Alex Cora or Davey Roberts uh, in, in baseball, they're all relationship-oriented people. And even though people wouldn't think Bill Belichick is, if you know people inside the organization, they say he's one of the funniest guys around. I mean, he's just got deadpan humor, <laughs> right? And, and he, 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 he goes about it a different way. So uh, that's kind of what's seeping into the new school of, of leadership. Uh, and then humility. You don't have to be a command and control freak. You can actually be a, a compassionate and connecting freak. Uh, so if you go back to old school, what's still prevalent in today's game? Well, teamwork, because teams win. Selfish individual players, they don't win in any sport. So the concept of team, uh, in my sport, the concept of actually moving the ball from side to side, it's still there, just taking on a different form of how they do it. Uh, the concept of the team construction having uh, – uh, players in roles that complement each other, that's still there. And as I said before, I think the genesis of good coaches, whether it be John Wooden, uh, you know, uh, in my sport, uh, he still connected with his players each and every, every day. Uh, and when you can connect with your players, you have the ability to tell them that word that you mentioned with Doc. You have the ability to tell them the truth. So I think without getting too long-winded and whatnot, those are some things that I think uh, I, I would throw out immediately in terms of your question. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's it, that idea of relationships. It's 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 pervasive everywhere. You know, whether you're talking your family dynamics, whether you're talking you know uh, a teacher in a classroom, whether you're talking parenting or sports or in the business, you know, between boss and employees, that relationship is so vital um, to a culture, to having the one vision and moving things forward. And so um, when you said that, I was, I was nodding my head here, even though nobody can see me, because it's something that everyone talks about, but it's something that you really have to invest in. Um, you know, energy and time to be committed to it um, and not to share out a few emails and say, yeah, I'm building relationships. And so um, that's, uh, I think, a lot of really powerful value there in uh, what you were sharing. You know, I want to be... Well, you mentioned, oh, go ahead. Yep, go you ahead. Mentioned, you mentioned something there that I talk about when I talk in the corporate world. Uh, I just did a two-hour workshop over in Spain on, on leadership. And one of the things we talk about is the best leaders... They lead by face, not by screen. Ooh, they I lead like by words, not by emails. Yeah. And you had mentioned emailing someone. Well, there's not, there's not, no better connector than eyeball to eyeball, so that that person doesn't just hear my words. They see my commitment to those words. They see my uh, passion behind those words. Uh, and, and then ultimately, the big thing is they see my true belief in those words. So anyway, that was just kind of a popped into my head. As no, yeah, no, that's that's really good. I like that lead by my face. I think there's there's so much. Yeah, that's a lot for all of us to process and think about, um, you know, as we build 
communication skills and, and relationships, there's nothing more powerful than that face-to-face interaction. Um, you know, it's, uh, I guess, called old school, but it's, uh, it's, it's exactly what's needed. In a day and age where we do less and less of that, you know. Yeah. So, and, and some of it, you know, some of it, uh, look, with, with all these virtual teams now, uh, that, that, that company I had spoken to over in Spain, you know, uh, they brought up a great question. You know, how do you develop relationships when your closest down the hall teammate is a three hour flight away? Right. You know, <laughs> so uh, we, we, we are going to have to change, keep these. And this, this ties in. It's a great segue because we're going to have to keep the old school principles of building relationships into the new school world of it being virtual teams, not in the same building, in the same uh, part of the building teams that we, we used to have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's definitely uh, we're right in the mix of that. Trying to find ways to make that make that work and be seamless and, and still powerful at the same time, which is uh, you know whoever figured that out, there's the next big uh, business opportunity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. You've shared so many amazing nuggets, but I, um, one one big question that I wanted to, to ask, and then we can definitely wrap this up because I know you've got a crazy schedule. Is um, in a in a previous interview I did, I had a chance to speak with Alan Stein, and, and he spent some time um, talking about the idea of, of unseen hours. And I, this is something that that has just it hasn't left my brain. The idea being that, you know, I, th- I think about my own children um, and I, and I you know, we're on TV or on, you know, the apps or whatever, and it's it's constant highlight reels, you know, all the fancy stuff. And, and we watch players, you know, in this and where I live now in the youth, they're working on so many fancy moves, but yet they have yet to master the fundamentals. Um, and he shared the, 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 the powerful story that I'm sure you're well aware of about when he was doing a clinic with, with Kobe Bryant, wanted to watch him work out, and he says he's going to be there at 4. He tried to stump Kobe Bryant, get there at 3.30, and Kobe was already, you know, a full sweat doing his warm up for the 4 a.m. workout, um, and so I, I, I wanted to kind of pose a, a similar question to you because you've had such a, an amazing career in the NBA, working with players at, at all different levels. Of, of could you share maybe a, an example or two of the power of the unseen hours? Of you know, yes, we have these people who are all stars that have amazing highlight reels, and you can find all that, but that wasn't, that's all that they focused on. You know, there is that grind, there is, you know, working on, on, on the basics over and over and finding ways to not get bored with that. So those highlight reels, you know, can become a reality because I think a lot of people are missing that. They're, they're, they're thinking that that's what they've got to work on. You know, the crossover step back fadeaway three, but yet they can't dribble with the left hand and make a left hand layup. Um, and so I, you know, one of my, I guess my things is to try to continue to show coaches and youth and anybody else, you know, it's the unseen hours that are more important than the accolades that we receive. Yeah. Well, certain things come to mind immediately. Um, regardless of how you say it, the, the unseen hours, uh, I, I, I call it preparation time, yep. but simple, simple beats spectacular. Uh, mm-hmm. especially when, uh, two teams are equally matched or two companies are equally matched. The simple message that explains what you do beats the spectacular one. You know, I'll never forget I was uh, – I had just taken a job in L.A. Uh, with Doc, with the Clippers, and I was trying to uh, uh, finalize the paperwork on my uh, – the, the condo that we were going to end up renting, actually. Uh, so I was sitting in the lobby waiting for the, the person I was supposed to meet uh, from the condo, 
and I heard the son, father and son talking to each other. And uh, the father said something like, I, read, I just read a, 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 a really neat book called Simplifying Your Life. And the son said, oh, yeah, or something like that. That wasn't the real title. But uh, he said, oh, yeah, uh, what was it about? He said, uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain because it was a little complicated. And I was thinking to myself, are you kidding me? We can't even simplify a book titled Simplify Your Life. So uh, I, I, I believe this. Success lies in the simplicity. Confusion lives in the sophistication. So all of the best teams, even me in my own personal life, the book was kind of written. The hardest part of the book writing for me was how to simplify it even more, yet still have some type of of message that would resonate uh, with people because we want people to do things to help them become successful, not just read about things. You know, uh, with the Clippers, one of our security people used to be the security person for Beyonce. Hmm. And I asked him one time, what makes Beyonce Beyonce? And I thought he was going to talk about her incredible voice or how creative she is and that sort of thing. And he said, oh, triple sessions. I said, what? He said, yeah, as they're preparing for a show, they're going three times a day and they're working on it and they're reviewing their steps and what went right, what went wrong, what can they change? And he said, you know, typically her day would end around 1 a.m. And then she'd get back up the next day. You know, she and people might say, well, what about her family? She would have her family come over during breaks. Right. So she would see the kids, uh, see her husband, et cetera. Uh, so. It, it, it all gets into, are you willing, you know, what do you want to do? And uh, the way, you know, I, I, I've, I've said this for 35 years now, maybe more, because I kind of have lived it. Okay, I have a dream of where I want to go, what, who I want to become. Well, are my daily habits matching that dream? If my daily habits are way below that, then that gap between my dream and my habits that's called the regret gap, mm. right? You're going to regret that the rest of your life. So you have, to, you have to be truthful with yourself. Forget about how do you do it. That's not important. Do you really want to do it? Or are you just going to give it like, you know, make it sound good? Yeah, I, I want to be really good at what I do. Just start, right? Just try. And if you fail, join Beyonce, join J-Lo, Join Barack Obama, join Ellen DeGeneres, join Oprah Winfrey, join Kevin Eastman. We're in that club. So uh, to me, it gets back to preparation and are you willing to do it? And preparation, you you probably read it, it's defined in the book. My my definition, and it's the best one that I've heard to this point, Uh, not because it's mine, it's just, it, it just makes sense. And my definition is be there before you get there. Yeah. Be there before you get there. Kobe, Alan had told you about the, you know, it's basketball lore. You know, so many people in the basketball world, they know that story. They, if you ask Kobe, what made Kobe Kobe? One of the things he would say would be 4 a.m. Cause that's when he started his first workouts of the day. Mm. And he would get more work per day in than anyone else. And I'm not sure exactly where Alan took the story, but, Uh, That was one of his philosophies. 
as you start building up year one, year two, year three, and I do one or two extra workouts each day, how is just think of the separation I can get. Right. And Alan was right. I'm sure he told you he worked on the basics. You know, he, Kobe understands that in order to do those spectacular things, he must dominate the simple. He must be so great at the simple things to be able to even try and actually execute successfully the spectacular things. I like that. I like that idea of dominate the simple. I think there's uh that's a powerful punch of uh, truth right there. <laughs> hmm. So Kevin, I, I, I want to wrap this up. Uh, be respectful of your time. I'm going to put a link to your book down in the show notes, but if people want to learn more about you and, and, and follow your journey, where are the best avenues for them to come, come track you down and uh, see all the, the, the amount of information that you share. You do an amazing job sharing little nuggets of wisdom and quotes and kind of food for thought uh, almost on a daily basis. And so um, where's, where, where was the best place for people to uh, start to follow your journey? Um, well, they, they can certainly go. Uh, I, I am on Twitter, and it's at Kevin Eastman. And uh, my Twitter's a little different. I'm not always going to tell you, you know, where I ate or where I went to the bathroom <laughs> last night, all that sort of stuff. I'm going to try and, and, and give you a lot of nuggets, kind of like we talked today. There were a lot of bullet point type things we, we threw out. Um, it'll be a quick hit thought on leadership, a quick hit thought on career advancement, a quick hit thought on teamwork. Um, those types of things. Uh, and in terms of everything else from, uh, blogs, newsletters, uh, some video, they can go on the website at kevineastman.net and, um, they can start searching through there and, uh, anywhere from, uh, how to, you know, possibly bring me in to speak to how to order the book to, uh, they'll see me maybe on stage actually talking about some of the things we talked about today. Absolutely. This has been so phenomenal. I, I can't thank you enough for taking time to talk with me. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it, it's amazing. I was reflecting with some, some local uh, high school coaches just the other day and I was letting them know I, I had the honor to, get a chance to interview you for the podcast and we were talking about how we were using your clinic notes you know uh 12 13 years ago for middle school sports and high school applications and in following that journey and um you've just done an amazing job sharing so much online and out through your book and other platforms to help people um that you know i'm i'm not the only one that would love to tell you thank you for all that you do not just for the game of basketball, but just for the life lessons and, and the things that you do to help everybody, you know, try to be a better version of themselves. So, um, you know, I just want to make sure that uh, I express my gratitude for all that you do um, uh, because it has huge impacts on so many people. Um, I know a lot of times, you know, those, those things of gratitude, you know, don't always make it your way. Um, and so, you know, all the way from here in, 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 the, in the state of Iowa, you know, um, a lot of people follow your work, you know, read up on your work and, and utilize your work. So um, I want to make sure that I get a chance to say thank you, at least for all those people that I know that we have lots of conversations around. No, well, a couple of things. Number one, I hope your weather changes. Yes, My brother lives no doubt. He lives in Des Moines. Okay, so yeah. I know what's going <laughs> and then the second thing is, um, look, uh, as you, for, for any of the listeners, and, and you're doing this with your podcast, but who have had the opportunity to have a lot of great experiences that can help others 
if you keep that inside and you die with all those experiences and maybe all that wisdom, then you haven't done the best job you can do while you're here on earth living. So I I would say uh, let's all share because, uh, hey, I can live, uh, gosh, a play we used in the 2008 uh, uh, NBA finals, we called it high school. (laughs) And Doc got it from his son's junior varsity coach. He saw them run it in a game. We actually ran it and scored in the finals. So we're, we're, (laughs) you know, those people who are successful, we don't care where we learn it from. So let's keep sharing, all of us, all of the listeners, keep sharing what you've been fortunate enough to learn. And I'll leave it at that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. No, my pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing because you're impacting as well. Yeah, well, thank you so much, and, uh, you know, we look forward to hearing all all the feedback that comes uh, with this podcast. I'm sure it's going to spark a lot of conversation and uh, new ideas, you know, and nothing else. Get get some people engaged in uh, moving some ideas in their head, you know, definitely moving that into action and not just an idea floating in in their brain. You got it. 